Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello and welcome once again to American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. And it is that time of year. We've got the NCAA tournament getting ready to start here. The regionals, I think, are about a week and a half away or two weeks away. And uh, check those out. If they're uh, close to you, take your kids. Go over and watch college tennis and try to help them see the level that they need to be to uh, if they want to play college tennis, both the men's and the women's side. And then the final 16 teams, the men and the women teams, We'll be traveling down to Florida for uh, for the NCAA finals, and that's always a lot of fun. I'm going down there. I'm going to road trip with uh, a couple of my coaching buddies and uh, see what I can do that is good for the game. Uh, folks, as you know, I've been on a quest trying to figure out 2009, 2010 in there. Uh, I started getting hacked off about what I was seeing going on with uh, tennis when they started playing these 10-point tiebreakers for the third set. And, and uh, I've, I've always realized that right of passage that a player needs to have, it used, rights of passage are critical. Rights of passage are was what happens when a player goes from one level to the next. I always tell players, if you've got 15 people in front of you, you don't need to beat 14 to 13 to 12 then 11 to 10. You don't have to beat them. No, you just got to get your level up. You've got to get a skill set, your skill set higher. That's why we preach. We coaches preach work for mastery over success. Yeah, we all want success, but work for mastery. That way you will be able to jump levels. However, when a youngster works hard, and they go to these tournaments. Usually physically they're able to make jumps first. Then mentally they make a jump, and they go, whoa, wait a minute, I just did did well here. And then emotionally, which is the most important part, folks, they become comfortable with the level that they get to. 
And that only happens with a rite of passage. It doesn't happen usually with a 6-1-6-1 win where the other player tanked. It doesn't happen when the other guy had a belly ache and you got a lucky win. It doesn't happen, by the way, when you play a tiebreaker for the third set. The super, I call it the not-so-super tiebreaker because when you win a tiebreaker for the third set instead of a full set, it's sort of like, you know, I would say it's sort of like kissing your sister or something. That's pretty that's an old-fashioned term, folks. For, forgive me about that one, but it's it's not really a kiss. It's, I, let's say it's like kissing grandma, or it's sort of like kissing Aunt uh, Aunt Loretta or Aunt Matilda. It's not really a real kiss. It's not really a rite of passage when you win that tiebreaker for the third set. It's sort of like a bad good. It's a bad good. Yeah, you got the win, but did you go forward? No. The other thing is losing when you lose that tiebreaker I always realize that doesn't hurt the players enough to want to get better in other words they'll walk away and say I lost that tiebreaker with third set I was playing well if I would have played that third set I would have won 6-1 in the third but I didn't and daggone it it's uh and they just sort of let it walk they just walk away from it and they don't hurt enough this is important when your youngster loses, they need to hurt enough to say, I don't want this to happen again. Talked with a great baseball coach earlier today, and he was talking about how players get better and how some of them are talented, but they don't get better, and how others do get better. And almost always it is that you dislike losing enough that you go out and work hard to get good. So about back in 2009-10, I understood this. Then... The NCAA, these, these ITA coaches had dinner. I wasn't even a coach, coach in college back then. These ITA coaches had dinner with them, and they talked about how they were trying to push Noad back into tennis or back into tennis. And I said, don't do this, guys. You're going to destroy the game. What are you thinking? He said, no, no, we got to get it fast. Well, they were sort of these coaches from up east that don't train as hard. I'm not running down a league. But y'all you don't know that up north where they don't, uh, I always say some of these schools where they only play 18 or 19 matches throughout history, there's a slogan that it's all right to be smarter than your hound dog. You don't have to outrun them. So it, it's very uh, frustrating. If you just take away the work ethic, things do not uh, – it basically just allows talent and opportunities to shine if you're looking at the three things, ability, desire, and opportunity. So there's no ad. Folks, I've been on this and on this and on this, as you know. Well, we've got a rare opportunity today. I've got uh, two other coaches here with me, one on the line and another one here with me, and we're going to have a discussion over some of the things that are going on and what we might do, and i once again, I've been able to get the I, – should I call him brilliant? Coach Falls not. Should I call him brilliant? He's one of the smartest coaches out there, and his results speak for themselves. He's had two world champions. He's had two kids win world championships. He's had like four gold ball players, champions. Most of – almost everyone he has ever worked with uh, gets to, ends up going to college and playing. He's been a college coach himself for 20-some years. And uh, he's out there coaching now and training players, 
and he's been going to a lot of tournaments recently. Um, and so we're lucky, very, very lucky to have on uh, Coach Randy Blumendahl, and I've got him on the line here. Coach Randy Blumendahl, welcome to American Tennis. <clears throat> Um, well, great having you. Yeah, yeah great having you on thanks, the program. Thanks. You're caught. In tra- yeah, you caught traffic you. out there. So you told me you didn't have yep. time to do the program today, but <laughs> I'm glad I ran you down. And uh, you are a busy guy. But um, listen, I the program today, American Tennis meets Coach's Corner. By the way, uh, look for Coach's 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 Corners program here too. And and Coach Dave Fosnot, it's great to have you on the program again, too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think uh, you, uh, Coach Blumendahl, can you hear Coach Fosnot back? He's back here in the back. He's sort of shy, so but we got to get him on here. So, anyhow, all right. Well, listen, guys, um, both of you go to a lot of tournaments, as I do as well. I want to get a discussion going here. I sort of set the table. Yeah, anybody that listens to American tennis knows how fed up I am with. These organizations, good people and bad organizations, I always say, but they have sort of ramrodded centralized government and control, top-down control and management to our tournaments to where, let's face it, last weekend, Coach, you were at a tournament, I think, in Montgomery, Alabama or something, and they started playing four-game sets, no ad, and I mean, and these things. So tell us what you see out there and what's going on, Coach Blumendahl. Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. Uh, It's always my pleasure to be on. And uh, um, there's a couple of things I was thinking as you were talking. First of all, I remember clearly back in 2008, 2009, you know, after watching many times watching the movie Amadeus, thinking, Coach, this is going to be your requiem that you're riding out, you know, you're just going to get stuck on this. And I don't understand why the importance of it, the depths of the importance of it. I understood the importance. I didn't understand the depths of the importance of why the scoring system mattered as much. Um, and there's some, there's some things going on beyond that, but the scoring system has a lot to do with it. Um, but, you know, a couple of things that I saw right away being on the road with the juniors at the the regional level and even the national level, same things going on, is first of all, and this question is coming up over and over again with the parents. The parents come up to me and they ask me, they say, well, what's going on here? Is there some kind of uh, plot going on behind the scenes or something where they're trying to generate more money for the local communities. And I said, it probably, you know, that seems like the main focal point. Why do you say that? Well, most of the the schedules are something like they start play Friday night, then they'll play again late Saturday afternoon, and then they'll play again late Sunday morning. Um, And at the meantime, as we're, we're talking about, you know, these schedules is they're playing, they're shrinking the amount of games or the amount of sets that they're playing. So the, the actual time on court is not very long. Between matches is usually extremely long, in some cases not so much, but they're not on the court very very much at all during these three, four, five days of hotel time that they need in, in uh, 
you know, so it's not making a whole lot of sense. I can tell you this, the parents of this generation of kids are not going to sell the parents that have younger kids to get into tennis. I mean, that's not going to be something they're going to, oh, we had a great experience, and they're going to talk about it. From a developmental standpoint, it makes very little sense, and, and I'll get into that as well, but it makes very little sense from a developmental standpoint what's going on with shrinking the um, scoring formats and then shrinking the amount of matches. And sometimes two tournaments, you split the talent and have two tournaments of the same age playing at the same time simultaneously. Um, and how does that make sense when we're talking about areas? So you don't have a winner. Number one, you don't have a winner, and two, you're not getting all your talent together, and you're not having those rite of passages that you're talking about. So, you know, so you're you're well, leaving that coach, out. Coach, can yeah. I jump in there real Go quick? Ahead. Explain real quick to people listening out there and parents why it's a money grabber. You said you mentioned hotels. You feel like they're yeah. trying to extend the length of the tournament tournament is longer that we've been talking about this for years i think 20 years now i've heard the usda talk about this the length of the tournaments is longer the the amount of players that are in these tournaments is less they're splitting the tournaments and shortening the formats um why am i saying that because the way the schedules are with each player and you hear this over and over and over again is they 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 have to get three days minimum of hotels before they get knocked out of the tournament. You, it used to be you would have 75% of the tournament knocked out within the first 24 hours, you know, of a, of a sectional tournament. Nationals a little bit different, but um, of a sectional tournament. And they could call them whatever they want. They've got all these fancy names, but there's only, in my mind, there's only a few tournaments that are national tournaments. And then you've got regional tournaments and you've got your state-level tournaments. Well, in those state-level tournaments, it used to be within 24 hours, maybe 36 hours, you would have 75 to 80% of the tournament knocked out. Now, 5 or 80% of the players that originally entered the tournament are still in it. Um, so they have figured out a way to promote this with, the local hotels to where, you know, it, it, it's something that the, they're, they're able to kick, get kickbacks. I don't know what they're doing business-wise, but it's very obvious to me that something's going on with the hotels. Um, yep. And, well, follow and they, uh, yeah, we need to, we need to figure out what that is, but that's, that's going on. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the shortening the formats, look, if there is, and this is a four-day tournament, if there is a two-hour rain delay any time within that four days, they immediately shorten the format, immediately. Um, you are still playing late into the, and it's all these hours that are empty to begin with that make no sense to me, but immediately we shorten the format. And I'm thinking to myself as a coach, all right, how's my player going to learn how to play tennis? Because when you're behind in tennis matches, you have to figure out ways to lengthen the tennis match. So you lengthen it either by stretching the points out, you lengthen it by stretching the games out, the deuce adds, or you stretch the sets out all the way to a tiebreaker 
six games all in a tiebreaker, or you stretch the match out and you play a third set. But that time allows you reps on the court to figure out how to beat your opponent. And when you shorten it, you don't go you don't go through the same thought thought process or the same process that you would as a tennis player or any other athlete. Coach, forgive me for jumping in there, but I wanted to make this point. Uh, a month or so ago, you made a statement that was, was really brilliant. As a coach, uh, 48 years now, 41 years in the college game, you try to f- identify what is it exactly that makes players excellent. You know, everybody works on their ball strike. Everybody works on their strokes. But you, you, this statement is brilliant because this hits the nail on the head. I had one tell everybody out there, Coach Blumendahl says, this usually hits the head on the nail. You know, but <laughs> not all coaches do, yeah. the nail on the head. Anyhow, uh, you said when a player starts to get good, if you're working with a young 12-year-old or 13-year-old, folks, this is so brilliant. But this is this names it, claims it, and tames it. At first, you learn to extend rallies. I mean, look, our kids hit on ball machines out of baskets and all these things one ball at a time. But after they hit one ball at a time or not, they learn to extend rallies. Then you said they learn to extend points. Then you learn to extend games, you know, long games. Wow, I had eight, eight deuces that set, and I still lost 6-1. And then you learn to extend the sets. Then you learn to extend the matches. You lose four or five in the third. By the way, those rites of passage, when a player loses seven, five in the third, that means usually that's the breakdown before a breakthrough. Almost always after your player loses seven, five in the third and their heart is broken, almost always they say they want to quit tennis or they get mad. They go back to the practice court and they make their breakthrough almost always. All right, then they learn to extend matches. Then guess what? They learn to extend tournaments. They get to the third round, the fourth round. Hey, I made two semifinals last month. Then the kids start believing they can do it. Then they learn to extend their seasons and then their careers. I wanted to bring you up. That that helps me name it, claim it, tame it. So when the no-ad tennis eliminates your ability to extend games, that's just number one, two, three out of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's just number three out of nine steps. So you're shortchanging the kids. I've got another coach in here, Coach Fosnott. Uh, I want you to jump in here, and then you jump in too. I'm going to let you guys sort of take over here a little bit. Uh, coach Dave, if you could talk about, you know, you go to tournaments a lot. You're still young enough to play. You play yourself still. You go to tournaments. You've coached at a bunch of different levels. What are you seeing out there? Uh, well, one of the scariest things I'm seeing is I'm going to harp on again with going to the third set tie breaks because it's – I was talking to a parent when I was at a tournament recently where – and you also mentioned, mentioned rites of passage where we played the full tournament out. So even if you lost, you know, if you lost round 16 in the main draw, you go in the back draw, you play the whole thing out. Well, now – since they only allow them to play two matches a day, you can only play up to the quarterfinals of these backdrop tournaments. Well, coming up, we could play. We play three matches on Sunday to make it into Monday, and three matches on Monday to try to win the backdrop. And that was a way for you to really grow already after you already took a cut, whether it was you didn't have a good match or checked out or one or the other. But you could find growth through battling it out and going back to work 
for three matches back to back to back. And that was a very easy way for players to grow. Now, with two matches a day, it still doesn't have the same gut feeling. And not being able to play something and complete it takes away uh, the competitive edge for the players. And one thing that was tough for me to see at a tournament I was at recently was I watched, there were probably four different matches going on, all in third set tiebreak. And seeing the way the winners of those tiebreaks come off court and the losers of those tiebreaks come off court, neither of them had the emotion that they needed coming off that win or loss. Because this 10-point tiebreak is what it's doing for the ones that lose is it's creating a tweener mentality where instead of saying, man, I needed to work harder to win that third set, it's easier for these kids to say, oh, I got screwed because of this net quarter. Oh, well, this happened and that happened, and it was just an unlucky tiebreak. Instead of actually having to battle or face a 6-0-6-1 whooping in the third or a 7-6-7-5 loss, you don't have the same emotional grab of having to go back to the well and see how deep you need to dig. And so that's, that's the scariest thing for me is seeing this generation of kids growing up that don't really know what it's like to have to dig deep for match after match after match. Well, I mean, can, can I add some to that? Can I add some to that real quick? So, so I, uh, that is a brilliant point. And, and, and one thing that I thought of is, is I saw exactly the same thing you're seeing, is the kids know the best players are not winning the tournaments consistently. And the kids know that the hard workers are not being rewarded. Now, they don't always articulate it that way, but they know it in a way where they come off the court and they start making excuses, and they don't value going back and working on their game, and they don't fall in love with it because they don't think you're getting rewarded for doing the things that the coaches or anybody else that tells them this is what sport's about. They don't think there's any value in that. So that that's exactly right. I see exact the, the exact same thing you're saying, and it's killing me when I know that the kids know that the best kids aren't winning the tournaments, that's what's bothered me a lot. And and, because how am I going to get somebody to work at something if the top players don't even get rewarded for doing what they're doing? Coach, those those are things I've been thinking about. Well, just about the early rounds, uh, players, so many seeds losing, um, I have a good friend whose son went over and played in the 12s last week, and he was seated at a national uh, open, and something like nine seeds got beat the first round, and guess what? They were playing four-game sets and a tiebreaker for the third. So who do you think was choking their brains out in the first round of those events? And people say, oh, well, they need to learn not to choke or something. No, tennis is about being able to manage the choking. It's there, it's tennis, you never have a choke-free match. It's just the fact that you just you manage it and you – we always say when your rear end starts to quiver, you got to learn to deliver anyway. And um, the point is, is we're not teaching our kids to work through those situations. So – Nine of our top 16 kids get beat the first round, and then you're exactly right. What happens to, hey, you got it. You guys need to go run. Well, why do we need to run? They're only playing two four-game sets. Oh, doubles. Oh, doubles is only a six-game no-add. 
I mean, it's laughable what what they're doing. But it, my question is: Is this by design, or is there? You know, because it seems like if it's not, they're missing a heck of an opportunity because everything you're explaining to me seems like they're trying to generate a bunch of kids that are shooting for the middle or mediocrity. Because if you lose all the time from random situations, you're eventually going to lose heart, lose passion, and then at best you're going to do the same thing everybody else does. So, I mean, is that the the plan? I mean, I, I just, I don't know. You know, the other point that I want to make, and maybe this is part of the plan too, is is there is no pride in any of these tournaments. No pride. If you ask a tournament director about something or why they made the decision, they immediately don't take responsibility for it. It's somebody else. It's USTA. It's this. It's this. And it's called the USTA, and they make they tell you that it's the tournament director. And you know, and nobody nobody is taking any sort of ownership in these events. So the only thing I think they are trying to do is make money. Well, and I don't even at, know if they're doing a good job of that. No, and going off the making money part. You look at some of these uh, national events and sectional events. They're when I was growing up, they were cost maybe fifty, sixty dollars for entry. They're one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty dollars just for a single event, and you're getting maybe ten dollars worth of stuff with a sandwich coupon to Panera and a five dollar T-shirt. So, and these courts don't cost twenty thousand dollars for the weekend to renovate. But with, if you what win the yeah, and if you win the event, you get to play X number. You know, you get to play about a quarter of the games you probably played 30 years ago. Oh, big time. So, and the, what, the most frustrating thing to see, though, on the development from the United States aspect, if we're looking the outside in, what the USCA, the, the way the scoring is set up, it's only geared towards participation. Because you cannot expect a, a, a kid, a junior, that say they cannot travel to play ITS and the only thing they have is USTA, which is probably 95% of the people that are playing tennis in the States. If they expect to try to play professional tennis, you cannot do it through the USTA because it's, they're not set up to go through the same learning stages that have to be taught and you have to go through like they do on the ITF tour like they used to when we were coming up. Uh, with no third sets, and, and rarely any event, let alone the way they set up the tournaments with only playing two matches this or however it's set, it's not pushing the competitive edge. It's, not, it's no longer about competitive. It's about they're pushing the have fun and hit balls and, you know, we'll see you next weekend, two-day tournaments. And, it might be and trying that, to, you know, folks, I, go ahead, Coach. Go, jump. Go. Well, that just brings me to a, uh, the final point. You guys talk about this, but – the um, the people that the USTA keeps saying, well, we're you know we're listening to parents, and you know I, I hear this from the tournament directors. I, I be listening to if they put together events the way I'm seeing them, is the ones that are whining because they're not competitive enough, or the ones that just basically wanted to get there and, and participate. Um, the ones that roll up their sleeves and just say, "Hey, I'll stay as long as I need to." We just we're, we're here to play matches, or the kids that are there to win. Nobody's listening to those families because they're not no, they're, they're not be. saying the same thing. No, and I've never to this date in the last ten years, I've never run into a parent that has complained about the tournament being 
too long or the match is being too tough in format. I've never heard a parent say that. I've well, I have my... those kids. I had Dave, but those kids, those kids get knocked out tournament after tournament after tournament early, you know, because they don't do what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. They just, yeah, they're just showing up. They they would rather dumb down the competition than have to step up to it. But that's okay. But why would we model our sport around that? I mean, that's not going to inspire the next generation to want to play. It's not going to bring a champion out of the USTA, which is which I would no. we would all hope would be the goal is just for the next, you know, Andy Roddick, next Pete Sampras, next Serena Williams to come out. No, that's Josh right. Got a lot of points. Trying to make a couple quick ones. Uh, my friend said recently yep. that he figured out his uh, youngster got to play fifty games. They spent twelve hundred dollars or something. He figured out that that's $24 per game, which if they played no ad, it's between 350 and $6 per point. So he's not excited about his youngster playing tennis. And, um, you know, the second point is you brought up an early point, follow the money. The hotels are making money in these facilities out there. I'm thinking that the facilities have been built in every – there's probably in South Carolina – we have seven or eight super facilities at 25 courts there, and the USTA chunks in money, throws in money maybe to build these, but they've got to support them. Well, how are they going to support them at the Chamber of Commerce, fill up the hotels? Well, how are they going to get people to run the tournaments? Well, the tournament director's got to make money. But here's the interesting thing. Tim Wilkerson in the program we had about three years ago said something I'll never forget. He says, when I was a young man, and he says, I think this is the same for many players. Young players play for two reasons. Tournaments of heritage. They want to win something that is something of heritage. And also rivalries. Now, we've taken away both of these with these generic, top-down managed L3 orange ball tournaments there's no – they've been genericized. Years ago, they had tournaments like the Crackerland, uh, the Copper Bowl. They had the Orange Bowl. Well, they still have the Orange Bowl. But, I mean, the prestige and winning that. He said tournaments of heritage. He said kids would rather win Kalamazoo than being ranked number one in the country. He said, would I rather as a pro want to win Wimbledon or be number one ranked player in the world? Win Wimbledon, of course. And we've taken these away from the kids. We've also taken the rivalries, you know, away. And uh, But the those things, those rites of passage and those things of history are incredibly, incredibly important. And uh, whoever's making these decisions, you're, if you guys are making it for money, it's just shameful. And I know that in the college game, the reason that they've gone to no ad basically is try to bleed it into the pros five or six years from now, the pros won't mind. And then guess what? In the pro level, they want random results. Random results pay the house in the gambling industry. Great article. The ITF makes a deal with the devil. This was, you got, folks can look that up and look up the ITF getting $70 million last year from the gambling industry. What for? For live stream scoring. And guess what? What They don't want Federer and Nadal or 
Madison Keys winning all the events. They want random results. That's what pays the house. So I think there's more to this than meets the eye. I'm, folks, I'm, I'm not the place where I'm talking tennis conspiracy, but there has to be a deep state somewhere making these decisions, or they've got a playbook at the USTA how to destroy tennis in the United States of America. You think they've got a playbook there, Coach? Coach Blumendahl, you think they got a playbook on that one? It looks like it. I mean, I I don't think you could come up with a better way to destroy it than what they've come up with. And, and whether they're doing it by on purpose or they're doing it on accident, if they wrote it all down, it definitely would be the way you would try to destroy tennis. If you took a step back and you started thinking of it that way, these steps that they're taking would be the way you do it. So um, that's well. Let's try to solve a problem, okay? Let's. How would you solve the yep. problem? The tournament. Listen, uh, I, I don't want to jump in on you. I thought it was a pretty good deal when they used to start a tournament on a Friday evening with a couple rounds of doubles. Then they'd play two rounds of singles on Saturday, two rounds of singles on Sunday, with a couple rounds of doubles in there on Friday night. You'd be out to the quarterfinals or the semifinals, and you could bleed those in. But then only those in the finals would hang around on Monday. And then you'd have, if it was 64 draw, you'd have them. That was a pretty good deal, and you played full matches, and kids were getting a lot of play. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think they had a good deal. The other thing is if you have to abbreviate matches, there's lots of things we could do. We could discuss this, but I want to get your ideas and Coach uh, Dave's ideas about if if you're a tournament director and it rains, what do you do? We we did so I, I hate it because for years and years and years we just played the tournament out and we just yeah. did it. And now and then you'd get a rain out, but if you could have one whole day, you had a rain day, but you don't just bastardize the whole thing. You, do you have any good ideas, yeah. Coach? Well, if, if you have rain, what they used to do is the tournament director would stay around. Now they've turned it into a whole ordeal of facilities and all this kind of stuff. So you have to have control of the facility. Tournament director needs to stick around, and then they make it about the refs or whatever. They make it about 20 different things. You just simplify that and let the kids stay out and play the matches. Everybody would be a lot happier. You might run into one incident every now and then, but it would be a lot less than all these kids you're affecting in a negative way by shortening the formats. So it's better not so to I, play yeah, than my, to play these abbreviations, yeah. you believe. I read, I mean, in my mind, let's play. I mean, the, the kids, there's two things that matter, and it's exactly what you said. If they would make these events, and it doesn't need to be hocus-pocus, it needs to be they need to put a lot more care into it, and it needs to have some ownership to whoever is running it. If they would, if they would build these events up to where they were something special for the kids, and not special through, you know, let's make it, you know, some kind of exciting, you know, ride for, you know, special through tennis. If they could, if they could do that, and then let the kids play, and the kids were going to play the whole time. And the best player most of the time is going to win those matches, 
then I think kids would go back and work on their games and they would enjoy, they may not enjoy everything in the moment because I think most competitors don't enjoy losing, definitely enjoy the process along the way. So you have to allow them to play and they have to start putting care into the events. You've taken those I two take, things away. I see two well, I don't things care how you do it. I see two things that are crippling junior tennis in United States tennis. Number one, centralized government. It's a like a they'd say a top down, it's like our educational system. Is there anybody out there who has a public school that you know of where the teachers are not complaining that they don't have control over their classrooms and they're dictated to? And is there anybody out there who's a teacher being fulfilled by doing the dogma and the lockstep stuff that the government is passing down. Is anybody out there happy with centralized government running, whether it's student loans or whether it's health care or anything they do, it gets watered down and dumbed down. The USTA is centralized government. They need to get the heck out of the way, create incentives, not systems. USTA, I hope that you're listening to me. I hope that you hear this. You are good people working in a bureaucracy that you are killing incentive in a sport that needs incentive as much as music or art or drama or anything that is creative of the heart. The other thing that's crippling junior tennis is the point system. We need the head-to-head to count again instead of the point system. Because those who have resources, rich parents, you'll fly all over the country and get points, and you might not be worth a darn, but your folks fly you around and get the points. We might have Joe Smith or Susie Jones from the inner city, and they go to the state tournament, one tournament a year, and they win it, and they're the best tournament. They're the best player in the state, the best athlete, somebody that needs support. Guess what? At the end of the year, they're ranked 28th or 29th in the state because they didn't follow the USTA guidelines and spend a fortune chasing these points. Those two things are just killing us, USTA, killing us. ITA, you're just as bad. You don't, you're not sticking up for us, the coaches and the players. You're trying to trying to just work a situation out for you that keeps you in tight with the, the USTA, and you're just killing development. Some players, it's laughable college players, they have like a 10-5 and five record for the whole year. Are you kidding me? Folks, you want to kill your career? You know, you go to college, the wrong college where they don't play enough, and you're not going to get better in college. You can't with the limited practice and limited matches. I blame the ITA for not sticking up. For all the teams, we've dropped 450 college teams in the last 15 to 20 years. It is ridiculous. Some states like, I think, Maryland, uh, West Virginia, I think even Arkansas only has one. Kansas. Kansas. These states don't even have a state. They don't even have a D1 program. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just awful. It's, it's just what is going on. And I blame the ITA for your lack of vision and politicking. And I blame you for bastardizing our scoring system 
in hopes of making something popular before it's good. That's what the USTA does, too. They had a spokesman, and they said, if you have an idea, promote it, then make it good. I said, no, 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 no. If you have a good idea, you make it good, then you promote it. And that's, that's sort of backwards with what they're doing. So consequently, the example there would be the red, orange, and green ball. They spent millions of dollars promoting that big flop. Just ridiculous. How? Well, what happened there? Well, it stunk. Forcing the kids to play with those kitty balls. Nobody wants to play with the kitty balls. Nobody in their right mind wants to be good at the eight-foot basket. Nobody in their right mind wants to be good with water wings or red, orange, and green balls. You can preach it. That's a good teaching tool. But them doing that, now I want to compare that to how much the USTA politicked against against the UTR. That was an independent idea by Dave Howell up in Virginia. And Daryl Cummins, those guys got together and they figured it out. It's all over the world now, and it had a lot of big, big forces of money and everything against it. But it survived any, anyway. We are the United States of America. This is American tennis. And daggone it, just get out of the way, USTA. Incentives, not systems, please. Coaches, got a, got a few minutes here. Coach Fosnod, uh, thoughts on what you would do if you were running things? And what, what, what do we do if it, it has a rain day? What, what, well, what? I, I, I still stand with what we used to do. I mean, now the problem is that directors are not working for the job to be done. They're working for the hour, and then they're trying to clock out as soon as possible. And that's just not what happens when you're that's running. That's government a job. job. That's a government they job. Clock in, clock out. And that's where I believe a lot of the issues lie, is that you're letting all these people lay around and say, oh, well, I'm not trying to go home. Well, the job is you stay until the job is done. So we stayed out there, there uh, probably 10 or 12 times in my junior career where I went on court at 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. We play the match out and we go back to the hotel and go to sleep. They already have rules in place to make sure if that happens where you don't have to set, wake back up at 8 a.m. So they've already got things there for that purpose, but they've just taken that out as a whole. So I guess it makes people uncomfortable or some people just want to go to bed soon. But going back on the ways to fix it, and we've talked about this before, I still think there's plenty of chances for directors out there or anyone that owns a club or has courts nearby that they know they can rent. If you want to create a tournament of heritage, you can still use the UTR system, and we can pay junior players to play these tournaments. You can make up to $10,000 a year, a year as a junior player, and still be eligible to play college tennis. So you want to get a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid ready to play a tournament? Tell him if he wins, he wins $500. I promise you a kid would much rather go train and get ready to win 500 bucks than to go win a little trophy and maybe get his ranking spot 10 spots higher. That's called NCAA rule on tennis prize money is NCAA rule 12.1.2.4.2. Exemption for prize money in tennis, and this is the the rule. I'm sending it actually to Coach Blumendahl there, and I'll send it to any of you that want it. But it's then the other part is after initial full collegiate enrollment, they have a thing before you go to college. You can make up to ten thousand dollars a year here. 
Let me read it here, Coach. In the sport of tennis, prior to the full-time collegiate enrollment, an individual may accept up to $10,000 per calendar year in prize money based on his or her finish or performance in athletic events. Such prize money may be provided only by the sponsor of the event in which the individual participates. Once the individual has accepted $10,000 in prize money in a particular year, he or she may receive additional prize money on the pre-event basis, provided such prize money does not exceed the individual's actual and necessary expenses. Now, that means you can make $10,000 after expenses no for participation in the event. The calculation of actual necessary expenses shall not include the expenses or fees of anyone other than the individual. For example, the coach and things cannot get, parents cannot get more of this. And then it says afterwards that part, that's enough for the junior players to understand. The junior players need to understand that. All the coaches out there, too, they made this because there were so many international players around the world that had played pro tennis, that had made some money. The, the NCAA made this rule for tennis so that really now you've got people going to college, and it's a whole new thing. I'm going to get Wayne Bryan on here to talk about this sometime because he's really he's – really, uh, uh, upset about this, as many of us are. We we basically have a lot of minor league professional players coming over to play college tennis and taking the spaces that could be used, maybe not should be used always, but could be used to be politically correct by some of our local kids. So, Coach, what do you think about that? How about UTR prize money tournaments? No, I think I think uh, you guys you guys are onto something there. I mean, I I go to you know Kalamazoo almost every year for the last twenty five years, and um, you know I go there and I I think well, what makes this tournament special? It's a very very special tournament. Um, is it the way they run it? Yes. Is it because it's got heritage? Yes. Do they do like they do things on a different level? If we did another tournament exactly like Kalamazoo, it's like we tell our players, you got to be the best version of yourself, and we have to have a have to have a way to allow that to happen, and it's not going to be through control. You can't duplicate the same thing over and over again. Nobody's going to take ownership in that. I would love to see a free market where these tournament directors could try to create something better than Kalamazoo, not the same, better. And that's an unbelievable event to go to. So if we could do that, players would be onto something. And, yes, not everyone would be weighted the same, but there would be a reward system. The other thing that I want to make a point of is, as we're talking about all this stuff, I want to make this point, it hasn't been made yet in the show, is these scoring systems and the way that they're administering the current tournaments is taking away opportunities for certain personality types to win or be good at, their, at what they do. It's also taking away from certain skill levels or certain playing types on the court to be able to be successful, it is discriminating against smaller players as they get older. It's discriminating against players that play 
a certain way on the court that extend rallies. So if you take away that from tennis, if you take away the personalities, you take away the way players play the game, and you make it where they have to play a certain way to succeed, and that way is almost the same across the board, the game becomes very boring overall. And it's it's not something anybody wants to play, but it's not something anybody wants to watch either. So marketing, you can have all the all the people in the world, all the genius marketers you want out there, there's not going to be anything to market. That's what makes the sport interesting. And then the scoring builds drama. You put those things together, that's, what's ma- that's what makes it interesting. It's the personality, it's the difference, the contrast in playing styles, and it's the drama built with the scoring. So big, don't talk big to time, me about Big time, folks. Yep. Coach, let me jump in. Let me jump in. Folks, listen now again to what he's saying. Three things make this sport interesting. The different style, type of people that are able to play from a Santoro to a Curios to a Serena Williams to a, what is that little girl that's about four foot eight from Cleveland is so good. Gosh, she's wonderful to watch. Um, and all these personalities – Number two, the styles, right? The different styles make it interesting. How in the world does Santoro win? How does he do that? Oh, my gosh, the guy from Argentina, Schwartzman. Oh, my God, Schwartzman. Schwartzman would lose a lot in college tennis. David Ferrer. You know, Stevie Johnson's dad was on Coach Weber's uh, program back Five or six years ago, Stevie Johnson's dad passed away tragically, uh, you know, but um, he was on there, and a question was asked. Stevie went undefeated for two years of college tennis playing traditional scoring, real real tennis. We got to call it real tennis and fake tennis. He wasn't playing fake tennis. And we asked him, or he was asked, would your son have won all those matches and not lost. He said, absolutely not. He might have lost up to 10 matches a year. And would Stevie Johnson been a different player? You bet he would have been. He needed to construct points. And so, again, your your point is brilliant. Those three things, and then the scoring system makes it so unique that it's built in units like it is. As you said, you learn to extend the rallies, then you extend the points, then you extend the games, then you extend the sets, then you extend the matches, then you extend your tournaments, then you extend your season, then you extend your career. And uh, we're tragically, we don't see this. And uh, they said, look, if you're going to play, oh, it makes me so mad that tiebreaker for the third. If you're going to let it, folks, if you're going to let it count, even in high school tennis, hey, as a full set, why not play an icebreaker? Play the tiebreaker in the first set. No, I'll tell you, better would be start the first set at 2-2 if you got to save time, or 4-4, and then full set, full set. But you've got to play a full set to define who that winner is. Only got a couple minutes here. Coach uh, Dave, you got anything else here? He's the Coach Dave and, is uh, – and, and Coach, like maybe like 10 and under, maybe 12. That stuff is okay when you're in, and it's not even age groups; it's levels. Maybe the beginner levels, it's okay to do some of that. 
participation tennis, forget it. Yeah. And those things. As they learn how to compete, absolutely not. We've created a rec model at a national level. And I hope everybody understands that. You go out, you there's a reason why, like after a while you're like, oh, I don't want my kid to play rec soccer or rec baseball or whatever it is. And that's what we've created on a national level in tennis. And I don't I, I don't know if the administrators of USTA don't think that the parents are smart enough to figure that out, but they've all figured it out. Rec, rec and then they tennis. wanted to pay a lot rec for tennis it. tennis this week. Oh, it rained. Let's go to the rec tennis model. That'd be a good one. Guys, I'm sorry. We, we've we got to go. We're about out of time there. I wanted to thank you very, very much, you know, for coming on the program. We'll keep working. Everybody out there, I'm just going to challenge you. you got 30 seconds here. Challenge you, if you love the game of tennis, if you want to see our youngsters to make jumps and stay with tennis their whole lives, if you want to see the next American champion, stand up, speak out, say what you need to say, stay professional, address issues, not people. You can you can address those daggone organizations, that USTA stuff, and the ITF, and the ITA. You can address those. Those guys are mucking it up with centralized government, and you know how I feel, and Dang on it, we want to thank Coach. process of winning or losing every day of your life and it has very little to do with a win or a loss go help that youngster out there in front of you get better tennis and learn to love it see you next week